Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. Happy Monday. I'm having a happier Monday now that my Green Bay Packers actually won a game. Now imagine a football game where we don't know who wins for five or six days. Can you believe that the New York Times tells us there are still 19 congressional races where we can't know who the winner is on Monday after the election on Tuesday? California is still stuck on a couple of races where apparently only 53% of the vote has been counted. That's just embarrassing. You don't get to lecture the rest of us about being election skeptical. We're certainly skeptical of your competence. And it certainly underlines where I think mail-in ballots don't sound so smart. Or we should have a system like Florida's where you count the mail-in ballots as they come in so we don't have this kind of nonsense. Now, one thing that we do know from our around-the-clock news monitoring here at Newsbusters is that now that Donald Trump no longer looks like this dangerously inevitable puppet master of Republican voters, they've all decided, like they all had a big committee meeting, that Ron DeSantis is just as bad or even worse. For a sense of the liberal media mentality, we can turn to the favorite fake Republicans of fake news Brian Williams, the Lincoln Project. On Veterans Day, they spoke for many when they tweeted, Don't be fooled. DeSantis is a more polished but equally evil version of Trump. Later they added, Extremists like DeSantis don't have as much baggage as Trump, which makes it easier for them to fool voters into thinking they're a sane choice. You see, in the land of the liberal media, the only so-called sane choice is a Liz Cheney. But the Lincoln Project boys are blunt when they go on with their friends at MSNBC. That old Mitt Romney advisor, Stuart Stevens, bluntly proclaimed, the Lincoln Project's not trying to save the Republican Party, but are trying to burn it to the ground. They even tweeted out a weekend MSNBC interview with music in the background. It's pretty unimaginable. I think that uh, Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee, but if he's not, it's pretty unimaginable that someone will be who will uh, assert that uh, Trump lost a, a fair election. So they'll be running against not a, a, an opponent who's an incumbent who has a different political philosophy. They will be running against someone who they believe is an illegal occupier of the presidency. And that is just extraordinary and, and has not happened uh, ever in America. Yeah, just to be clear, I mean, at the Lincoln Project, we, we're not trying to save the Republican Party. We're trying to burn the Republican Party to the ground. This is the sentence that we should put on a button or a T-shirt or a flag, a bumper sticker, whatever. They say, we are not trying to save the Republican Party, but we're trying to burn it to the ground. Then they make these noises about installing a so-called center-right party in its place. 
But this sounds exactly like the old con job we got in the 1990s about let's all support Colin Powell for president. We don't want a Republican we could work with was the sound of old Newsweek hand Howard Feynman. A Republican we can work with is a desire for a return to the 60s and 70s Republicans who were get-along, go-along Republicans, country club Republicans, 10 cents cheaper than you Republicans. The problem with that scenario is the 60s and 70s Democrats look like troglodyte conservatives next to today's Democrat Party. And let's face it, Republicans should get to define who the Republican Party is and not vicious, bitter ex-Republicans who now live on MSNBC. The liberal media doesn't get to decide what the ideal GOP is in some sort of laboratory setting. The first thing in any political party with any sense is you realize you don't take political advice from people who want your enterprise burned to the ground. And yet, media outlets like MSNBC will still identify Stuart Stevens as a Republican strategist. There he was on Chris Hayes on Friday night, identified as a Republican strategist of 25 years, worked in five presidential campaigns, like he's still a Republican. This is obviously not true. It's sort of like saying, you know, I'm a member of this club and now I want to burn that club to the ground. It would kind of suggest you're not a member of the club anymore. So here's a, a little bit of haze. Stuart, let me start with you. I, I always find it grimly humorous to see Republicans get angry at Trump on the narrow question of him hurting their electoral chances after he like fomented an act of actual coup. But it does seem like that is what lands the most with professional political practitioners in the Republican Party. Do you think there's do you think that sunk in with them after this loss and will it affect any of their behavior? Well, usually in politics, pain is the greatest uh, teacher. Um, And a lot of us who have been involved uh, trying to defeat Trump have said that we need to burn the party to the ground for the party to come out and realize it. And what do we mean by that? We mean that all these candidates have to lose. Mm -hmm. You can't have a a winning slate. But of of these people who supported a coup in the United States uh, government. So it looks like the coup or the insurrection was a winning talking point for the Democrats. Conservatives should always be against rioting because that stand is morally right and politically right. But here's the problem. Stevens is just like the media in trying to smear election denial over the entire Republican half of America. All this year, the newspapers and the networks like CNN ran around doing this weird asterisk about Republicans who questioned the election returns. So we're all smeared into election deniers. So if on November 8, 2020, you wanted to let the court challenges play out, you're an election denier? Or if you told a reporter or a pollster that the 2020 election was unfair, they count you as an election denier. If you said out loud that big tech and the media colluded to elect Biden, that somehow makes you an election denier. None of us at the MRC deny Biden is the president. 
But all of us believe the media and big tech colluded to suppress Biden's scandals, that they blatantly canceled negative information about the Bidens or proclaimed that it was all Russian disinformation. This is our media. This is what Stuart Stevens and his Lincoln Project grifters want to do to destroy the entire Republican Party with this election denier angle. Stevens also tried to tell Chris Hayes that the GOP has no design to govern, that the GOP has no agenda. He even said there's not seven people who can tell you what Republicans stand for, and they just want power just like a narcotics cartel. But what they're trying to do is the entire party backed Trump. Right. It was the entire party that went down these insane rabbit holes. It was the party's you know, fault that they couldn't pass an infrastructure bill, that they couldn't govern, that they have no desire to govern, that they, it wasn't Trump's fault that they ran this election without any agenda. There's not seven people in America that could tell you what Republicans were running on. <laughs> so that's not Donald Trump's fault. That's the sort of inherent bankruptcy of the Republican Party. So listen to the lieutenant governor. She's saying that she can't back Trump now because candidates lost, not because he tried to overthrow the government of the United States. And I don't think that that's a party that can be redeemed because there is no there there. There's no purpose to it to win only for power. That's what cartels do. I mean, it's like a narco cartel. The GOP now is like El Chapo. But wait. Sean Penn was digging El Chapo. He was sort of like an anti-American hero. Ay, caramba. Now, never mind, in this scenario, the Republicans voted for infrastructure on a bipartisan basis. They voted for the CHIPS Act on a bipartisan basis. There were bills they passed on a bipartisan basis. So you, you don't really get to say, if you're trying not to lie, that the Republican Party didn't have some votes here where they accomplished something, at least by the way that Joe Biden defined it, and the things they didn't vote for were things like the American Rescue Plan, which we can now call the American Inflation Plan. Where they voted no, I think they look correct. But this is the problem we have, is the media wants a Republican Party on their shows that wants the Republican Party ended. The other day on PBS... They had a supposedly bipartisan post-election panel and the so-called Republican strategist said it on screen, Republican strategist Sarah Longwell, who openly campaigned for Joe Biden's election with his group Republican Voters Against Trump, which is a, a stupid title because she's admitted on PBS she's no longer a Republican. So calling these people Republican strategists is simply a pants-on-fire lie. It is a flaming falsehood. It is like calling Nancy Pelosi a devout Catholic. They employ this fakery to present themselves as a credible critic of something they belong to. You're supposed to take Nancy Pelosi's critique of Catholics more credibly because she's a Catholic. You're supposed to take Stuart Stevens seriously as a Republican critic because he's a Republican. These things are not true. Nancy Pelosi can pretend to be Catholic, but when you when she starts talking about the issues and what's very important to them, you know, we want to codify Roe. You know, you're not a Catholic. You're at war with what the Catholic Church teaches. 
This is what our media does when victory is all. They lie and then they present it to voters like it's objective news. Bulletin, bulletin, bulletin. Uh, we have a new study out on Newsbusters on the late night network comedy shows. I mean, we've all seen this, that the uh, Stephen Colbert show looks like a DNC hootenanny. Well, our Alex Christie counted all the guests from Labor Day through the Monday night before Election Day. And I, I mean, this shouldn't should be surprising. I got to say it's not. Our numbers were. It was 47 to nothing. Nothing. Zero zip. No Republicans. No conservatives. There were 21 Democrat partisan officials and offspring like Chelsea Clinton. There were 26 journalists or celebrities from the so-called mainstream media and mainstream Hollywood. You know, you had Sigourney Weaver and Elizabeth Banks both plugging their pro-abort movie called Jane. So make sure you check that out. This is the problem, is that our late night shows were like extended political commercials. Because you know when these people came on camera, they weren't going to get a serious question. Kamala Harris went on Seth Meyers, and Seth Meyers was all, you've accomplished a lot despite only having a 50-50 Senate. That's not interviewing, that's facilitating. Now let's turn once again to Maxwell Alejandro Frost. Maxwell is the first member of Generation Z to be elected to Congress. Now we were hoping here, especially our Kevin Tober was hoping, that 25-year-old Caroline Leavitt could win a House seat in New Hampshire. But that was an actual contest, and Frost's district is reliably blue. It would have been great to have Caroline leave it win and then watch all the networks flock to Frost again. And then we could have said, oh, only this side of Generation Z is interesting and newsworthy. A few weeks back, I devoted a column to MSNBC's energetic Frostathon, doing all kinds of interviews trying to promote him. Uh, that was sort of, I think, advanced publicity because I think they all understood he had a very good chance of winning. So interviewing Maxwell Frost wasn't really necessarily helping him get elected because he was going to get elected. But hey, they couldn't help themselves. Democrats are reporters and reporters are Democrats. So he kind of looks like he's the new AOC. You know, AOC, she's getting up there. (laughs) Yes, NPR, National Public Radio, touted Frost's unsurprising victory on election night on their website. They were highlighting some Maxwell Frost tweets. One, somebody was questioning that he had been in politics for 10 years when he was 25. He tweeted in response, I started organizing at 15 because I didn't want to get shot at school. Oh, how idealistic. Another tweet NPR featured on their website was from June, where Frost apparently heckled DeSantis at a Dave Rubin event. Like he showed up and filmed himself on his phone yelling, you're killing people or something at DeSantis. DeSantis probably couldn't even hear half of what he was saying. Uh, But here's the way that Maxwell 
Frost tweeted it. I just asked Governor Ron DeSantis to take action on gun violence so we can save lives. That we lose 100 people a day. His response, nobody wants to hear from you. That is what Ron DeSantis said. He was basically saying, nobody asked you to come and heckle. And then Frost added in his tweet, we are dying and our governor is too busy helping Rubin report make money. Yeah, that's him, Dave Rubin's Twitter handle. Now, do we think that, you know, NPR would cover us if we showed up at a Maxwell Frost event and started yelling at him? We're dying! And you're killing us! And take that like it's a respectable political argument. No, only when you're a leftist does that work. Uh, I discovered peeking at Frost's tweets. He also tweeted on November 5. For the many of you that also want a world free of gun violence, please vote on or before November 8th. Now, (laughs) that is a heck of a campaign promise. Vote Democrat and gun violence in the entire world. (laughs) Yeah, I think that campaign promise isn't going to work out. NPR also touted Frost on Thursday night's All Things Considered. Yes, let's make fun of that on a daily basis. The show All Things Considered is really liberal things considered. Anchor Elissa Nadwarney explained about Frost. After the 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, Frost was drawn to anti-gun violence activism. He became the national organizing director for March for Our Lives, which advocates for gun control policy. He's anti-gun violence. Well, that's like, who's pro-gun violence? Yes, the Democrats. They're so anti-crime, but crime seems to go up while they're in power. Now, in this particular piece, NPR did use a P-word. They said he received support from high-profile progressives like Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. But they don't usually use a label for people who agree with them on everything. Well, that wasn't enough. They had two minutes promoting him on uh, Thursday night. On Friday night, they actually got him on for an interview. All frosts considered. Yes, Elsa Chang did the uh, tried to kiss up to him by saying, well, you know, when I was 25, I was still living in a dorm room, so congratulations. And then Frost said back, nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that. And then you get these tough questions like, so what do you see as the most urgent legislative priorities facing your generation? This has been the standard kind of interview question that Maxwell Alejandro Frost gets. Notice that Elsa also doesn't identify young Maxwell as a socialist or even as a liberal. But she does imply he's got some tough sledding ahead for his ideological agenda when it comes to the state of Florida politics. So I guess we should give her some credit for noticing it's a tough road. She said, let me ask you, you know, you've been an organizer for the anti-gun violence group March for Our Lives. But now you're going to be a lawmaker from a state with a Republican governor, two Republican senators. A state legislature will have a Republican supermajority. 
How do you see yourself working with all of them to achieve your agenda? Well, Frost, trying to sound like an optimist, trying to say that he works across the aisle, he said, if the Republicans get the House majority, it'll be tiny, so there'll be room for compromising. Well, the House Democratic majority has been tiny for two years. Is that what's happened? We've had a lot of compromise. I mean, we've had some, but NPR won't give the Republicans any credit for it. NPR didn't ask, impertinently, hey, Frost, we have, the Democrats had a narrow majority, and they still tried to shove things down the Republicans' throat. So after the NPR interview came the PBS interview. This is what's happening on your taxpayer dime. PBS NewsHour or Weekend News with Jeff Bennett. Uh, they were so happy about this, they promoted it at the end of Washington Week on Friday night. Michelle Cinder, the host there. Don't forget to tune in Saturday to PBS News Weekend. Anchor Jeff Bennett talks to Maxwell Frost, the first person from Generation Z. That's right, Generation Z, elected to Congress. Well, here again, Jeff Bennett had all the namby-pamby questions for Maxwell Frost. Like, what do you see as the significance of your win? The average age of a U.S. House member is 58. You were 25. What does that mean? Big picture. And then there was this. At night, you drove for Uber to make ends meet since you weren't making money as a candidate. And that reality really rules out entire classes of people who might want to run for office but just can't make it work, can't afford to do it. Well, it's an interesting question, but it's still a bit of a humble brag question. You know, you're a man of the people. You drove for Uber. Then, your decision to run was driven in part by the issue of guns, gun control. Tell me more about that. Yeah, that's a toughie. And then he finished with, what issues do you intend to focus on come January when you're sworn in? Yeah, I mean, wow, really tough. These people make fun of Fox News for doing softball questions. Uh, Saturday night on the Situation Room, same situation with Wolf Blitzer, all the softballs. I like this one. Ari Melber on MSNBC Thursday. Uh, this was Ari Melber's first interview with Frost, even though Frost has been all over MSNBC. People are going to look to you as the voice of this generation. I'm just curious, since we're talking here for the first time, and I hope you'll come back. What do you think is most misunderstood about people in their 20s or what they're going through in America right now? Perhaps by older people, people like us in the press. Oh, sure. People in the press sure hate those young socialists. You know, AOC has been so disparaged for her youth and inexperience. <laughs> so Maxwell answered that young people care about the same issues as old people, but guess what? They're just more socialist about it. Check it. This was his answer. When we think about the economy, we're thinking about the crushing student and medical debt that's on our generation. And we know that we're in that debt not because we live beyond our means, but because we've been denied the means to live. I'm sorry, taking out $80,000 in college loans would be living beyond your means. It might be a smart investment in your future, but you can't say you're not. If you were living within your means, you'd pay cash for your $80,000 college experience. 
And then he continues, Frost continues. So we take a step back, reviewing the issue holistically. We're seeing that means people have a thrivable wage. Oh, not just a livable wage, a thrivable wage. Making sure people have health care, making sure people have access to education. Well, this is where the socialists sound just like Democrats. You can't really tell the difference. But it's all about what we want to do is make young people have all their stuff. You know, maybe it's a dream that all the old people send money to Washington and it then goes to the young people. I mean, some of us would say what's been happening our whole lives is we've been, as younger people, we sent money into Washington to go to Medicare and Social Security. Felt like we were shoving the money up the, the age scale. But anyway, uh, Melbourne even asked Frost who his favorite musician was. As long as we're softballs, we might as well go for it. Frost said Stevie Wonder. Past, present, and future. Always will be his favorite. Well, that is good. I am also a Stevie Wonder fan. Big fan. But I suppose Stevie is much closer to Maxwell on the politics. I would just like to say, for all the people of the world, let's all love each other. Which sounds great until you decide that's code for socialism. Uh, Frost was also on Chris Hayes on Friday. He was on The View on Friday. And everywhere he goes, he's hailed and never challenged because, let's face it, it's good to be a Democrat. This is doing the round of Democratic networks, and yet the Democratic networks call themselves what? The mainstream media, the established media, the legacy media, the reality-based press. That's my favorite. <laughs> so you just this is what we're going to get. The Republicans may take the House majority, but guess who's going to get all the attention? The newest socialist member of Congress will pretend to be shocked. Now, obviously, they will be focusing on the Republicans in the days to come, and that will be their favorite narrative, Republicans ripping each other to bits. So to keep track of how we do this and how they're going to say DeSantis is just as evil as Trump, you've got to come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in.